0: This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio.
1: Tuesday edition, July 24, PFT PM. We're six days away from the return of PFT Live to NBCSN, but I couldn't wait any longer. It's been four and a half weeks since the last time I talked in any type of a structured setting with today's guest. One of our favorites. He's been on once before, and I nevertheless brought him back again co-host of PFT Live three days a week. He's Chris Sims. Hi, Christopher. Christopher?
2: Hello, Michael. Hello, Christopher. How you doing? Good. I miss you, man. I don't know what the hell to do with my life. I'm ready to get back into action here.
1: Yeah, I know. I miss you, too. And it's only three days a week, but I have fun during that two hours. We've come a long way in a year. We're starting into year two. And uh, it's going to be fun. So yeah, I couldn't wait any longer. I had I had to talk to you. And, and you actually have been on, like, real vacation. For me, vacation is I still work. For you, vacation is you actually take a vacation, right?
2: I did. I got a little uh, Wyoming, Jackson Hole, Yellowstone, Grand Teton's National Park, did all that. And I hear you. I mean, how could it be a vacation when you have stats in the house with you? I mean, that's not a vacation. That sounds like a torture summit to me.
1: Yeah, it was best when he was asleep. Like, he slept 12 hours (laughs) Thursday night, and he was very grateful that I let him sleep. It's like, trust me, I was glad to not have to deal with you.
2: (laughs) I know. You sent me a picture of him asleep by the fire, and uh, it's kind of what I expected from a guy like that. I mean, he he can't burn the candle at both ends. He's got no stamina. That's just the way it is.
1: Well, he was asleep in the coffin pose, and then the next morning, I thought we were going to have a weekend at Bernie scenario when he didn't emerge from... His bedroom until like 1130 a.m. So I uh, I was glad that we didn't have to, like, you know, have him retrieved and and taken out of the out of the house on a gurney. That that would have hurt the property value tremendously. So how did you pick yeah, Wyoming?
2: So. Wyoming was great. What did you, you say? How, how did it? you
1: pick it? Do you throw a dart at a map? You know, Who picked Wyoming?
2: Yeah, Wyoming was really more of a thing For my little girl who's a huge animal lover I don't even think you know this But I have three cats, a dog Two chickens and two ducks here At my household And um, that's, I'm only working To provide her with a farm That's like her dream in life So we're working on that for her And she loves animals And we always like you know, Going down to the Caribbean or Florida So as a family we figured we'd change it up And do something a little different So it was cool
1: I figured you had a different kind of farm, Panama Red.
2: Oh, don't you worry. I always take care of that. My name is Chris Sativa Sims, there's a Sims, and his name is Chris. There's not a there's Sativa close at hand.
1: Uh, it's, uh, is uh, Wyoming close to Colorado, too? Is Wyoming uh, exactly. similar to
2: Colorado? You're, you're connecting the dots. You're doing very well.
1: Hey, I, and, and your dad was with you.
2: He was with me. Yes. We, it, so once we told the rest of the family we were going to do this trip, everybody jumped on. My brother, his girlfriend, my aunt, my mom, my dad. So we had a whole big crew out there, and it was it was a good week of uh, family fun.
1: Everybody fly on the same plane?
2: You know what? We did. We uh, we found a way to, to all get on the same plane. We threw the kids back in coach, and us grown ups grown ups lived it lived it up in first class.
1: Well So. I, oh, I, I have to ask, did Phil hotbox you in the plane like you did to Nance?
2: Oh. <laughs> it's a long flight. He might flight. have hotboxed my mom who was sitting next to him, or something <laughs> like that. But I and know gotta... better to keep my di- distance from my father. If there's, <laughs> he hasn't been able to walk around for a while. That's an, that's an easy one.
1: How's he doing?
2: He's doing really good. He's uh, you know getting ready to get geared up for the season himself. Um, you know, he's getting to the age where he is you know, having a little some body issues from his 15-year NFL career, so he does have to battle through that a little bit right now. Kind of a pain in his butt. He's got some back and neck problems, shoulder problems, things like that. But all in all, he's good, and uh, I think he's ex- just about as excited for the NFL season as we are.
1: We still have to get him on here at some point. I don't know what kind of hoops we have to jump through because of the whole CBS thing, but uh, I think it'd be fun to have him on here and just let the two of you go at it.
2: Yeah, no, I, he definitely will. I, like I said, whether it's the, the podcast or even the show, uh, he is totally down to do that. So well, let's hopefully we can figure that out here in the next you know week or two when his life is still pretty slow and we can get him on it for one day.
1: Well, you never know when agreements are going to be reached. We found that out earlier this afternoon. Out of the blue, the Rams have a long-term deal, not with Aaron Donald. They have a deal done with Todd Gurley. Shouldn't Aaron Donald be pissed off that Gurley got paid before him?
2: Uh, I mean, I certainly would be a little annoyed if I'm Aaron Donald at this point. I mean, not only – I wouldn't be as angry about the Todd Gurley thing if I'm Aaron Donald as I would be Brandon Cooks, who has yet to do anything for the Rams organization to this point and has already been rewarded. Now, I know it wasn't a huge reward in the five-year, $80 million contract, not exactly as it seems. It's kind of NFL agent propaganda. But, yes, Aaron Donald – I don't think any of us would argue is certainly one of the three best defensive players in football, if not the best. And uh, I would be a little disappointed in him right now, seeing that they're giving away resources to other positions that certainly could help out his contract. But Todd Gurley deserved it. It's hard to argue that, Mike. I mean, I would say Todd Gurley's the best running back in football right now. And, uh, yeah, I had to do a little ranking of that last week, and I made him number one. And I think within this offense, his skill set, his age, uh, this was a pretty good deal by the Rams thinking ahead of the future instead of him having another gigantic season this year and then asking for something like $17, $18 million a year. You get him for the low now and, and you move on.
1: And this is the way to work it. You put a number on the table that the guy can't refuse because he's due to make about $2.3 million this year. His fifth-year option number is nine point six. If he waits one more year... And Le'Veon Bell, next March, breaks the bank on the open market. His expectations are going to go up. And I think this is a deal that if Gurley keeps performing the way he has, the Rams are going to look back in a couple years and they're going to say, we stole this guy because we moved at the right time. He's committed for six years, almost $72 million. It's just about $12 million a year average, which blows the current market away. Now, look, the $45 million isn't fully guaranteed, it's a rolling guarantee, but it's injury guarantee, and for the running back position, I think you need that. So when you look at what he yeah. was due to make, when you look at what he would have been in position to get once Le'Veon Bell sets a new bar, and he will next year, the Rams should be happy with this, and Gurley should be happy with this.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and Gurley knows how things can change. I mean, we we saw his, you know, his junior year at Georgia, non-contact ACL injury, so he knows how... Physical, dem- physically demanding the position is, and I think that is the other fascinating part of this, right, where, you know, the Le'Veon Bell has to be looking at this, and I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to use this as leverage, uh, you know, on Le'Veon Bell, because, you know, they're going to be able to argue that Gurley is at least as good, if not better, just with his age, his statistics are right up there with Le'Veon Bell, Um And I think that alone is going to be an argument for Le'Veon Bell, and they're going to say, listen, Todd Gurley's younger than you. He averaged .7 yards per carry more than you in the running game, and he averaged over five yards more per catch in the passing game. I mean, it's a very similar skill set, and that's where – I mean, I don't mean to – I'm not pushing back against you, but I do think it's going to be interesting to go – does Le'Veon Bell break the bank next year and get a whole yes. lot more no, than that? He does. Or he does. Does it something similar? Here's you why. Think he does?
1: Yeah, here's why. Yeah. The ship has sailed on a long-term deal with the Steelers. The Steelers, unless they're going to pay him $25 million under the franchise tag next year, because to tag him a third time, they'd have to give him the quarterback tender. He's going to hit the open market. So there's going to be a team out there that is looking at Le'Veon Bell for what he can do on the field and what he can do by way of putting asses in seats, generating an interest and in selling jerseys, right. and helping you win the press conference, helping you attract people to come follow your team so he's going to set a new bar Todd Gurley if he would have hit the open market would have gotten a lot more than he gets now and the biggest challenge for a team like the Rams which has multiple star players and they're trying to work out Aaron Donald how do you do a deal with a guy who expects market value Gurley got market value, but not the market value he would have gotten post-Bell. It was a unique situation. Donald wants $20 million plus per year, and I think that's why they haven't gotten that deal done. But Bell, he's going to set the new bar. I mean, look at it this way. Your your, your guy, Kyle Shanahan, Jarek McKinnon, $7.5 The guy's a backup running back from Minnesota who was a mid-round pick. What would the 49ers have given Le'Veon Bell if he was available this year on the open market?
2: Yeah, I, I you know... That's a very good question. I don't know if a guy like Kyle, as much as he values that position, I think he also values his passing attack and his ability to get some of these running backs into very favorable positions. So I don't know if he would break the bank for a a top-notch running back like that because, like we've seen through Shanahan's career, through Mike Shanahan's career, they've been able to be very successful as far as coaching running no-name running backs, right? Uh, we've seen a lot of it, whether it was Kyle and Alfred Morris or even Arian Foster when he was the OC with the Houston Texans who was undrafted. You go back to the Denver days, and there was a plethora of running backs after Terrell Davis where we just went, who are these guys?
1: Who do you think you are, Stephen A. Smith? How do they
2: do this? But, yeah, I mean, it it really is amazing, and I'm interested to see where – like, I agree with you. You're totally right. If Le'Veon Bell hits the market, Todd Gurley hits the market, they're going to make a whole lot more. But I do think it makes Le'Veon Bell's argument of 17 to $18 million, I think that does hurt him a little bit with this new Todd Gurley deal. Because I do look at Le'Veon Bell and go, man, you're being a hair unrealistic. To ask for 17 or $18 million a year, more than double the amount of a Devontae Freeman you know, yearly average salary, who's the next guy in line there at $8.2 million. I just don't think that's realistic either. So maybe Le'Veon will back up or, or back down his asking price, but you don't think he will, do you?
1: It's open market. It sets a new bar. It's Kirk Cousins getting $84 million fully guaranteed over three years. That's how... Yeah. The numbers that we see get generated in the normal course of guys resigning before their contracts expire and before they get to the open market. That's how those numbers go through the roof. So,
2: do you we, think we, if they offered Le'Veon Bell four years, sixty million, and gave him forty-five guaranteed, that he would take that right now?
1: Right now, he can't. Right now, it's the window's well, closed. Oh yeah, he can
2: right now. You're so in Wyoming.
1: You were in Wyoming yeah. with a apparently that day. So it's it's done. Uh, yes. and, and we'll, God, we'll, that time has passed. We'll talk more about Le'Veon Bell throughout the season and throughout the month of August, because the one thing I'm keeping an eye on, Chris, is the possibility that we get to Labor Day weekend, and just before he signs that $14.5 million tender, the Steelers say, Yank, it's gone. Now you're a free agent. Good luck getting paid when everyone's roster is set on September 1. I'm not saying this going to yeah, happen. that
2: would be... I mean, I would be shocked just from the simple fact that there's no proven commodity on that Steelers roster at the running back position. It is a very critical position for that football team, and what Le'Veon Bell does, or any running back that has this type of skill set, that would be able to fit in there, running back slash wide receiver. And the other thing I got to look at it just if I put myself in Pittsburgh shoes, they got to be going, man, we're a Super Bowl team. We can win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, do we really want to risk not having Le'Veon Bell not on our team at all, or do we want to just bite the bullet and you know we're gonna like last year take the first two or three weeks to get him in shape and get him going, uh, just to just you know to save ourselves later on down the year and make us a, more of a Super Bowl contender, Super Bowl legitimate champion type of team?
1: I didn't intend to go down this rabbit hole right now, but Chris, think of it this way. From the Steelers' perspective, if you're planning to use this guy 400 times this year and burn him up and wash your hands of him, at right. some point, you have to wonder: Is there going to be some tension in November and December? Will there be some business decisions from Le'Veon Bell? Will he have concussion-like symptoms in Week 15? Yeah, right. Will he have a hamstring Hamstring's injury? Hamstring's a little tight. As, Yeah, as he's getting closer and closer to his payday, is he going to be more and more reluctant to do what the Steelers wanted to do? Especially when you get to the postseason and it's like 27 grand Wild Card weekend. Screw that! I got right. you know millions waiting for me in March. I don't want to go out there and go all out when everything's more intense and I could potentially tear up my knee just as I'm about to grab that, that brass ring.
2: I, I, I think that is a totally valid point. Um, and, and, like, you know, two things. I wouldn't be mad if Le'Veon Bell or Odell Beckham Jr. sat out till week 10 and then just played the last seven weeks, there are six weeks to get the accredited season. I would not. I know that's harsh, but it's a harsh business right now in the NFL, and sometimes you have to do those type of things. The other thing, to your point, too, to really further it, I can, I'll, I'll, this is a personal story, and I know he's okay with me sharing, sharing this part of it, but um, 2008 football, or I'll 2009, sorry, I'm with the Denver Broncos, Brandon Marshall, same type of situation. They told him if you if you act good and you're a professional, we'll reward you during the season and give you an extension. Well, he did everything right, and of course, they did not reward him, and it became towards the end of the year, and we're in Philadelphia, second to last game of the year, okay, and I'm in the locker room giving myself one more look in the mirror, you know, just to give, oh, okay, I look pretty cool in my uniform. Let's go out there. And it's just me and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just giving you a look at inside. That's what I was doing, right next hey, to you're Brandon not Marshall. If you play,
1: you may as well look good, right?
2: Exactly right. Damn, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to look cool on the sidelines. <laughs> and and I, uh, so I look over to Brandon Marshall, and we had a very close relationship, and he looked at me. And I could tell he was frustrated, and I said, what's up, man? And he was like, oh, I can't do this. And I was like, what do you mean? he's like, I I I can't go out there and lay it all on the line when I know I'm this close to finally breaking the bank Mm -hmm. and setting up my whole family's future and everything. And I was always aware of that, of course, but that is just a moment in time that really hit home in my book where I was just like, damn, yeah. How do you expect some physical brute wide receiver to go out there and be a physical brute when he knows I'm about to strike it rich and finally capitalize on my greatest talent in life, um, and now I bone out my knee because I was trying to break three tackles in a meaningless Week 16 game, and I don't ever get paid, and that's really the the problem that NFL players deal with in these type of situations.
1: And if you're the Steelers and James Conner's looking good in his second preseason, and you start doing the the math, because Conner is due to make less than six hundred grand for the full year, Bell's making eight fifty two a week. You could sign Adrian Peterson get DeMarco Murray out of air quotes retirement, Alfred Morris could come to Pittsburgh. You could budget a lot less money to the running back position and avoid those headaches because that's the problem. You get deeper into the season, you're going to have to worry about Le'Veon Bell. You don't have to worry about him. You don't have to worry about these issues that may come up because you know the divorce is coming at the end of the season. There's an argument to be made to just rip the bandaid off right now.
2: I, I hear that, and uh, even even to further that, too, there's a guy on their roster that they drafted in the fifth round this year, Jalen Samuels, right? I watched him in person when I was covering the Notre Dame game. He's from North Carolina State. He is the type of running back hybrid that if he showed out in the spring, I mean in the summer, along with what you're saying, James Conner, that could be the formula that maybe they do yank it or say forget it. Jalen Samuels is one of these hybrid guys for NC State. Played tight end, running back, third down running back, really can do it all, and he could be that type of running back in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, where they can go, okay, line up behind Ben Roethlisberger, be a bell cow, but then the very next, you know, the next drive, we're going to come out and make you a slot wide receiver. He has the skill set to do that, and it will be interesting to evaluate as training camp goes on.
1: It'd be interesting if he works out because it was 10, 12 years ago they found an undrafted guy out of North Carolina named Willie Parker who ended up being pretty right. damn good for them. So That's uh, right. I, it's, it, look, I'd, until he shows up and signs that tender, they can yank it. And I think we have to have one eye on that possibility because there's a lot of reasons and a lot of good arguments you could make for the Steelers to say, sorry, we're just not doing this. All right, got to move on. Yep. Odell Beckham Jr. has disappointed both of us immensely by doing – what he shouldn't have done by not doing what Julio Jones did. I made the argument today at PFT that Odell Beckham Jr. has a much better case for a holdout than Julio Jones, who already is on his second contract, who committed through 2020. Beckham's never had a chance to really negotiate a contract. I'm stunned that Jones is the one of the two guys that's holding out and that Beckham's showing up and just waiting still for the Giants to finally pay him.
2: Yeah, well, I, I am too. I, I didn't know what it was going to do. I, you know, I can't say that I'm totally stunned because we have seen that Odell Beckham Jr. does seem to care a little bit about what the public thinks about, about him, and especially up here in New York. That, that's the one thing. New York is actually, I, I find it to be more critical of Odell Beckham Jr. than the rest of the country, which is, which is odd, which I don't really understand. So there is a little backlash towards him there, but... I you know, again, he can play the same angle we were talking about, Levion Bell. Okay, yeah, I'm at training camp. Oh, my hamstrings a little tight. Oh, is a team drill, you wanted to send me on seven go routes in a row? Oh my hamstring's tight. Sorry, coach, can't do it this day. You know, he's gonna have to play that game as well. I got I went through this a little bit when I lost my spleen in Tampa. You know, at some point you gotta push back against the organization. Uh, and protect yourself, and hey, he's there, he's trying to show that he's a professional and putting his best foot forward, uh, and they're not rewarding him, so if they don't reward him, I hope he uses all the cards in his deck to play the same game back at them.
1: You know what he should have done, and this is fitting because today was the day that Darrell Rivas had his retirement press conference with that goofy setup of an island at the uh, at the facility. Rivas is the guy who was able to pull it off in New York, held out after three seasons, got paid, got paid again later by the Jets. I'd have called Darrell Rivas if I was Odell Beckham Jr. And I'd have said, hey, Darrell, give me some advice here on how to deal with this, because I don't want to be a pariah in New York. Odell does seem to be very sensitive about the scrutiny and the criticism, but you're, you're playing right into their hands. The millionaire is yep. playing into the billionaire's hands and putting himself out there on the field with the injury risk on his shoulders instead of shifting to the team. And if he gets hurt again, he's never going to get that payday he's looking for. I think he's making a huge mistake. And it's a shame that he doesn't have people close to him who could give him advice that he needs to withhold services until he gets his contract.
2: Yeah, I, I, it, it is annoying. And I, you know, I wish he would have held out, certainly. um I understand what he's doing, though. I do as a player. It is hard because he loves his teammates. He loves football. Anybody I've ever talked to around the Giants, they love Odell Beckham Jr. They really do. And I think it is part of his DNA. I will still go back. I think last year is where he really dropped the ball. He should have sat out last year. They lose week one 19-3 to the Cowboys. They lose week two to 24-10 to the Detroit Lions. If he had sat out last year, they would have gone, holy crap, our offense sucks. We're 0-2 without you. And they would have paid him 19 to $20 million a year. And he went on and tried to be Johnny Team Guy, and uh, he ended up being Johnny Injury, and now he's still in the same dilemma.
1: It is amazing to me that more players won't take a stand. And this is another reason, Chris, why a strike or a lockout is never going to work for the players because too many nope. guys love football. They want to play football. Yep. They don't want to go without their money and they want to play football, and I think Odell Beckham Jr. fell into that. And and new coach Pat Shermer, you got to give him credit, he put the Jedi mind trick on Beckham when they were working together during the offseason program, and he got Beckham to go all in and do what he has to do, and it'll be interesting to see now. Do they sign him? Does he go year to year under the franchise tag? And do the Giants at some point say, you know what, Saquon Barkley's the new face of the franchise. We're going to trade Odell Beckham Jr. after we use him up over the next two or three years with Eli Manning still at quarterback.
2: Yeah, I, I think all of those are viable options. Certainly, I mean, I really won't believe anything until training camp's done with Odell Beckham Jr. I would think he is going to be on the trading block if somebody would give the Giants what they really want for him. Uh, so I, I don't, I would believe it all at this point. Yeah, and. and Um, I also would believe if a a contract did get done, it's going to get done, you know, somewhere seven to ten days right before the season starts. If the Giants really do go, okay, you know what, he's our guy. We're going to make him our guy for the future and the long haul. And we don't want to deal with this distraction because I do think this is a Giants football team that has some big-time potential this year. Uh, and I think that's the only two scenarios I see. I just hope he doesn't do too much in training camp and the team drills or preseason. I hope he keeps himself out of the harm's way.
1: Yeah, and and uh, well, a trade would be difficult because you bring a guy in August, September. How often have we yeah. seen a guy make an impact at receiver when he hasn't had the benefit of working with the quarterback working with the coaching staff working with the players now maybe odell beckham jr is the exception but that would be a tough a tough uh uh, expectation to get a lot out of him his first year if there's a trade that happens now
2: it would be very tough but he would be on that short list of guys like a julio or antonio brown where i'd say you know uh, they they're smart guys they work hard and I do think, yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but he would be one of the few guys in football the last you know, 10, 15 years where I'd say, you know, you trade him before week one, he still can be a 1,000-yard receiver in a new system with, with no timing or rhythm with a new quarterback either.
1: You mentioned Julio Jones. He's going to hold out. What do you think the end game is there?
2: Man, I mean, I really did not think Julio would hold out. I really didn't. I did not think it was in his DNA structure to do this. I thought once they told him no deal was coming, uh, that they would, you know, I thought it sounded like he was going to kind of just step in line and go, okay, I'll wait. I think end game for me with Julio Jones is I look at it like a Cam Chancellor Gronkowski type of issue like last year. I think at some point – Atlanta finds a way to get a little bit more money in his pocket this year, whether it's incentives or restructure the deal to give him uh, some sort of signing bonus, and then they revisit it again off season as far as finding out a new deal altogether.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's hoping that they do that, and here's hoping that he'll be satisfied with something incentive driven because you get injured and you don't make those incentives. I think that's the holdup right now between the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski. He doesn't want incentives again. He wants something solid and guaranteed. And from Jones' perspective, look, I I don't want to be Bill Paulian and say you have to honor your contract, but he did sign this contract after entering the league. This was a second contract. It wasn't a slotted deal. He was able to negotiate it. And he knew when he signed it, when he was getting 12 million as a bonus, when he had fully guaranteed 35 and a half million Total guarantees of forty seven million. He knew that year four, five, six of this deal was ten and a half, twelve and a half, and eleven point four, and he signed it anyway, and he's not happy with this last three years of the deal. And he only has himself to blame or his agents to blame. But right. you know, he still has the right to hold out for more. I mean, it's hard for me to reconcile that concern with my belief that if a guy thinks that he deserves more, he should hold out because the CBA gives him the right to do that. He just has to understand you could end up losing a lot of money if you hold out and they fine you and you end up returning without getting a new deal.
2: Yeah, my experience is with a lot of these star, you know, marquee, face-of-the-franchise type players, they usually don't end up finding them for these days off because they don't want to make anything a little un- more uncomfortable than it already is. Uh, it is a peculiar situation with Leo Jones, and I think you know, the point you bring up about the agent, and I would even say the team. I mean, those are things we don't know. Because in a lot of these type of situations, you know, the, the agent could go to the player, hey, you know, I mean, if you're still balling after year three, we'll get a new deal or do something mm-hmm. like that anyways, and we'll get new money all again. So just accept this deal. And maybe the Atlanta Falcons led him down that road as well to go, you know, hey, if you're still playing at a high level, we'll scratch the last two or three years of your deal and give you a new one. And maybe those are the things we don't know. And sometimes those are the things that go on in negotiation to smooth things over with the players. And I think a lot of the times the organization and the agent go, oh, the chances of him still playing at this level four years from now aren't that great. So I'll say it. Well, you know, too bad Julio Jones is only one of the most freakishly gifted people in the history of the planet and he's still one of the best receivers in football arguably still the best and yeah i've got no problem with it ask for more money that's just the way this is right now if kevin love can sign a four-year 120 million dollar deal <laughs> in basketball, okay then damn julio jones can deserve a little bit more extra change on his 12 million dollar deal hey, julio and- jones is a better athlete than kevin love Seven days a week, twice on Sunday, and he's making chump change next to a guy like Kevin Love, who I don't think any of us like. Julio Jones is undoubtedly one of the twenty best players in football. Kevin Love is not one of the top thirty basketball players in basketball.
1: Yeah, I know, but that's really not a fair know, comparison because we know anything, the economics it are different. Me off, you know. But you you hit the nail on the head when this all first came up earlier this year. This isn't about how Julio Jones is paid in comparison to other receivers. This is Matt Ryan at thirty on average now after he got his deal and Julio at 10 and a half in base salary for this year. And he looks at Matt Ryan and he says, there's no way I'm a third of the guy that you are as it relates to what makes this team go. And that may have been the trigger. And they're represented by the same firm. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe this was all planned out that once they got Matt Ryan his new deal, they knew at CAA this was going to rankle Julio Jones, and maybe they pushed some buttons on Julio Jones just to instigate a little bit, and the next thing you know, Jones decides he's going to draw a line in the sand.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, um, I think that's one of the little dirty secrets in the NFL is how powerful agents are behind the scenes because they control a lot of the inventory, right? And, yeah, I, I uh, who knows what happened there, but, you know, End-all, be-all, I have no problem with Julio Jones asking for more money. Uh, He's outplayed his contract, and people have signed bigger contracts, and he's every bit as good as Antonio Brown or some of the other top receivers in football that are making a lot more money than he is.
1: Yeah, and uh, look, they, they they they'll see what happens without him because even though they have Calvin Ridley, I think there's a huge gap between Julio Jones and Ridley and Mohamed Sanu isn't a number one guy. They need to get That's him right. in there and make him happy. All right, a yes, couple right. a couple quick points on Jimmy Garoppolo, the new 49ers quarterback. There was the comments he made in the bleacher report magazine profile about his mindset as it relates to tom brady that he convinced himself garoppolo did that he's better than brady i, I say if you're going to be successful at the nfl level or any high level sport you got to have confidence that borders on delusion and sometimes crosses over into it do you have any problem with garoppolo thinking in his own brain that he's better than brady
2: not at all i don't know i mean uh, it's, I think, very common with all NFL football players. I, I got to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after they just won the Super Bowl. I looked at Brad Johnson on the fourth day of training camp. I was like, I'm better than this dude. They should let me start. I'm better. And, you know, I mean, of course, I know I'm young and naive between the years and learning the offense and not nearly, but those are the thoughts you think of as a, com- a competitor who has self belief and self confidence in your ability. So self confidence no in
1: yourself. That. You have to have self confidence in yourself.
2: Confidence in yourself is crucial. Crucial, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I, I have no issue with that uh, at all. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a talented football player. I mean, he he is got the type of talent to where we we're I think very likely going to put him in the conversation as one of the ten best quarterbacks in football after this year's all said and done. In this system with Kyle Shanahan and his skill set, it, it's all going to match up right.
1: Where is he right now on your list?
2: I think I, I think towards the end of the year when I was doing that list I had him at like 14 maybe somewhere right around there.
1: I'd like to see yeah, that somewhere whole list. In there. did we use that list on the show and I just forget or I wasn't paying attention?
2: No, you never used that whole list. You never really talked about my list you know is that a I bleacher just, report whatever.
1: list That's probably why I didn't pay any attention to it
2: was that <laughs> something from your what? show with the other about guy Bleacher report and that's when Lebitard took control of it because they made a big deal about it, because I said Blake Bortles is the 70th best quarterback, which oh, I yes. still believe now I remember and, that. Um, yeah.
1: You still got him at 70? There,
2: right. yes. yes, yes, I did. Oh, yes. You really it's dug into in that, that are I'm probably going to come up with a new list. Uh, and if he proves me wrong and comes out and has an unbelievable year, I'll move him up. I not. I don't have that big of an ego. I'm not that big of a narcissist to, to say I was wrong. I've been wrong before. And uh, but But right now, yes. He is about where I said he was, and I'm not going to change that after what I've watched on film over the last five years.
1: Well, what do you What did you make of the uh, the summer of Jimmy G with recent uh, developments uh, that came out mean, last uh, week?
2: Oh, that, uh, yeah. Yeah, leave it li- 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 to Chris Jimmy Sims G. to not be subtle. <laughs> well, I'm a frequent of Pornhub, and uh, I knew exactly <laughs> who that person was. So. Uh, I just think it's really funny. Uh, I really do, especially because he's Jimmy GQ. He's so handsome. And some of the comments I had just from friends around the NFL, they were all like, I mean, he could date a supermodel if he wants. Okay, well, he doesn't want to right now. He's 26 years old, and he wants to have some fun. So let him go do that. Uh, You know, and I haven't heard from my friend Kyle yet, but I'm sure he got a a few chuckles out there in San Francisco.
1: Seriously, what do you think he, he, deep down, believes how does he react how does he respond when he sees that that kind of stuff popping up online
2: oh i, I don't i don't think kyle's one to judge uh like that at all you know he's really not i think what what kyle knows about jimmy g is that he loves football he is a student of the game they're still getting to know each other i think on a personal level he's very intrigued by jimmy g he says he's a different guy a fun guy you know he's not easily rattled by any stretch of the imagination. And I think um, Kyle was 24, 25, 26 year old, 26 years old once in his life too, and, and he understands uh, what this guy is going through. He's got a lot of money in his pocket, and he's really been thrust into stardom here just over the last you know eight or nine months.
1: Yeah, but the craziest thing Kyle Shanahan ever did was get Chris Sims' initials tattooed on his leg.
2: Oh, hey, he did crazier, but I can't tell you all that stuff. <laughs> oh yes, you can. <laughs> All right, that's uh, no, good. I can't. I won't have a friend anymore if I tell you, so that's. we'll leave it at that.
1: <laughs> well, we've, we've covered plenty of ground on the news of the day, and I, I don't know if you knew this, Chris, but Matt Casey now involved with the PFTPM podcast. We have a feature that he has cooked up, and he's going to lead us through a few uh, categories and possibilities and get our reaction. So we'll welcome in Matt Casey, coordinating producer of PFT Live, and now title undetermined on PFTPM. Oh, I was good. wondering when you were going
2: to call. <laughs> I was wondering when this guy was going
1: to do something around here. <laughs> Livia Soprano, ladies and gentlemen. All right, what do we got, Case?
0: All right, since we're not above gimmicks on this one, today we're going to play a on a scale of, all right? So, Chris, use your creativity. Okay. All right, and you get the first one. So on a scale of enough about Rivas Island to all-time great, put into context how good Darrell Rivas was.
2: Ooh, I'm going to say this. Uh, Darrell Revis, I believe, is the second-best corner I've ever seen in my lifetime, only behind Deion Sanders. Uh, that, that would be mine. He, he had a true island for about six or seven years on that Rex Ryan defense, and even when he went to New England, when he went to New England, he didn't cover the number one all game, he covered the number two. But when he was with the Jets, And in his prime, he was about as shut down as any corner I ever saw on film or played against or studied across the NFL. And I would only put Deion Sanders. I know I've had this conversation with my dad. My dad probably would put Daryl Green and Mike Haynes in the conversation for that second best as well. But I didn't get to study them quite like a Revis. Revis was the best I ever saw during this era.
1: Four-time All-Pro, seven-time Pro Pro Bowler. And, uh, you know, he only had 29 career interceptions because he never threw it his way.
2: Exactly right. I mean, I, I, I know. I was in New England, and we were playing Durrell Revis. And they said, forget throwing to Durrell Revis. We have other safer options of throwing the football. And so that hurts his all, yeah, his career stats. But I can promise you teams basically said, Hey, if Revis is over here covering this guy, just forget it. Play the other side of the field. It literally came to that point for about a five or six year stretch.
1: Put it in context, Chris. I'm going to have you guess. All right, and I'm going to give you the over/under on Deion Sanders' career interceptions. We got Revis at 29. Dion Sanders' Ooh. career interceptions over/under 43 and a half.
2: I'm going to say I'm going to say it's over.
1: I should have gone higher with say, my number. Let me try it again. Over, under 52 and a half.
2: Gosh, I can't. Th- I'm going to still say it's over, but I don't think it's much over that.
1: Yeah, 53.
2: 50, Which, uh, 53, okay. It's amazing right. he had other, that many opportunities. Too. Yeah, he had some more opportunities. It was a different era in football where they were a little bit more aggressive. People, the formations weren't as creative. You didn't have motions and pick plays and things like that. And I do think there was more of a, an attention by offenses in the Deion Sanders era to throw and push the ball down the field. And I think he kind of benefited from that a little bit. But, yeah, he, he certainly got a few more opportunities than Darrell Rivas did.
1: I'm looking at his stats. In 1994 with the 49ers, he had six interceptions for 303 return yards. <laughs> on six, Unbelievable. He averaged 50 yards. Per interception return in 1994 with that 49ers team that won the Super Bowl. He, All right,
2: he's, I mean Deion Sanders can go down as one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen, right? I mean I don't think I mean he's he's in the class of like Bo Jackson, LeBron James, like one of the greatest physical freaks we've seen in any sport at any time, at least in my lifetime.
1: I remember back in you know his, his era when the, the the highlights weren't as prevalent as they are now. I'd watch the ESPN NFL primetime show and whatever team he was playing for, because he played for like 20, the world stopped spinning to see what highlight Deion Sanders was going to have. Because it was going to be something. It was going to be a punt return. It was going to be an interception return. It was going to be a fight with Andre Rison. It was going to be something. And every week it seemed yes. like there was something.
2: It, it did. It was awesome. He's, he was certainly one. He was can miss TV. When I was growing up, I loved watching Deion Sanders because he was. He was one of the first D backs, defensive backs to really be – flamboyant and put it in your face and just say, You can't get open against me and uh, it was fun to watch.
1: First ballot Hall of Fame for Revis?
2: I do think so. I do, yes. Um, you know like I mean, I if said, Urlacher made a first
1: in, ballot. If Erlacher makes I, it first right. ballot, and how that does would, how that does was Revis Exactly not. what
2: came to my Yeah, exactly. That's what came to my head. I mean I think Revis at his position is higher up on the rankings all time great wise than Brian Erlacher. So yeah, I, I would say. And, you know, the other thing we got to take into account, just like we talk about the era of quarterback inflated numbers, well, damn, Darrell Rivas had a play in this era where, you know, unlike Deion Sanders and Darrell Darryl Green, who got to put their hands on receivers when they were 20 yards down the field still, Darrell Rivas, when he played, he played in an era that was totally benefiting offensive football and stats and fantasy football and everything like that, and he was still shut down.
1: All right, Casey, what else you got?
0: Hey Chris, good point. And apologies to put who put this on Twitter. Someone just uh, compared Rivas to Pedro, dominating in '99 and 2000 at the height of the steroid era.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was that dominant. It really was. I mean, it was across the league too. I, I know. I'm, I know. I told you about my experiences going against them. But you know, whether it was talking to a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay or whoever it was through the years. Nobody wanted to mess with Darrell Revis. It was almost like forget about it and let's just work on the other safeties and corners and try to find somebody open there. All
0: right, moving on. On a scale of I feel like I'm taking crazy pills to they're a legit contender. Mike, you, you get this one. What chance do you give Marvin Lewis assertion that the Bengals – quote, have the ability to win the Super Bowl? Well, look, they
1: have the ability to win the Super Bowl because they have the ability to get to the playoffs. And any team that gets to the playoffs has the ability to win in the postseason and get to the Super Bowl. We've seen that happen. Teams get hot. Teams get better. I just don't know why the hell Marvin Lewis is saying that now. Are they desperate to get fans to buy tickets? I don't get it. The last time I saw it, their odds to win the Super Bowl were 125-1. to 1. The Browns were 75-1. to 1. They do have the ability to get to the Super Bowl. But let's just focus on getting to the playoffs first. And then let's focus on what will be the constant theme in the days leading up to their first playoff game, which will be, can they finally win a playoff game for the first time in 28 years? So that's one of those thoughts that is better left unarticulated by Marvin Lewis. I've been a big Marvin Lewis supporter. I don't know why in the hell you come out and say that. Of course you have the ability to win the Super Bowl, but you come off as beyond delusional by saying it out loud.
2: Yeah, I I mean, it's like he only took one crazy pill. He didn't take a plethora of them. He just took one. And I think you kind of mapped out the points there. I mean, yes, I mean, it is kind of like jumping the shark by going, we're, we can go to the Super Bowl and you've yet to win a playoff game. But I think if I was putting myself in his shoes, he's probably trying to give his team confidence and probably trying to let them know that, listen, there's talent on this team that's special and uh, we can do something. And I will agree with that. I do think this is a team to watch out for. I mean, there's all the issues they had last year. They still ended up 7-9. and nine. Their physical... The only issue when I really look at their roster is going, yeah, the offensive line, It's got a, it's can it be cohesive and a good unit like we saw during their playoff runs? But the rest of the squad, I look at it and go, Cincinnati's a dangerous team, and that AFC North is just it's brutal because there's a lot of big, physical, talented guys in that division.
1: And I think they'll be better than people think they'll be. They're kind of off the radar screen. I just don't know why you come out and say that if you're Marvin Lewis. It's, it's stunning to me that they would do that.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, man. I I don't know why you go that hard at this point and just, you know, say, hey, we're a playoff team and we can get in there and we can win some games and be dangerous if we get in. You don't have to talk about the Super Bowl.
0: All right, Sims, on a scale of he's lucky if it's half that to should be higher, what is realistic regarding Ron Rivera's hope to get Christian McCaffrey 200 carries this season?
2: Ooh. That's tough. It is, it is tough. Uh, 200 carries. Hold on, I'm just trying to.
1: <laughs> you trying to yeah, do the math yeah. there, Chris? Huh?
2: Yeah, i it. Are you, are to are you doing any some... unzipping to do the math? No, I'm actually just looking at some. For context, he had
0: 117 last year.
2: Ah, I, I, I got to think without Jonathan Stewart and there, catches. no viable running back. I I, I would say that they, he can get right around the 200. I do think he'll get around 200 carries. I think it'll be close. Uh, but I do think it's, hey, you, draft, you drafted the guy in the top ten. You have uh, not a great arsenal of weaponry on your offense, so you better get your money's worth out of him. And it's Norv Turner, who we know is, he was the offensive coordinator when it was Emmett Smith and the Dallas Cowboys, or LaDainian Tomlinson and the Chargers, and he knows how to you know give the running back extra work. So I think he will be right around that 200 carry mark.
1: Well, they've got C.J. Anderson, and I think they have some hopes for him to be involved, and maybe they'd like to emulate the Saints with Mark Ingram and and Alvin Kamara with the inside and outside guy and and take advantage of McCaffrey's skill set as a pass receiver. But, you know, I'm with you, Chris. If you are going to make a guy a top-ten pick at the running back position, you better be damn sure he's going to be great, and you better be damn committed to using him extensively. Otherwise, draft Alvin Kamara! In round right. two,
2: right? Don't don't exactly. draft Christian
1: McCaffrey eighth overall.
2: Yeah, I I am with you, and I, I don't understand that sometimes when teams do do that, you know, they they get a guy and they go, oh, we dropped him in the top ten. We're gonna save him for a few years. Okay, yeah, you're gonna save him and make him healthy so he can go sign with another team and they can benefit from it. So uh, I just think, yeah, overall with that team, the new philosophy on offense you know, question marks as far as big-time players at the wide receiver position that certainly early on in the year, I think they're going to lean on McCaffrey big time.
0: All right, last one. Captain Fun, you start on a scale of dad joke to George Carlin's stand-up. How funny was Tom Brady's I'd rather have six rings than a six-pack line about his dad bod pictures?
1: Wait, which one's Captain Fun?
0: You. You. What? What, what, what is Hashtag that? Hashtag irony. Yeah, I don't like that. Sarcasm. Hashtag Game
1: of Thrones. No, I'm fun. Hey, her i I'm fun. Listen, listen. I, I saw the pictures of Brady shirtless, and I don't understand the big deal. We saw him shirtless in 2000. He looked like a 53-year-old guy who had rolled out of bed because his prostate was acting up at 3 a.m. I mean, he's never had a great physique. Think of the quarterbacks over the years who have had horrible physiques. Would you want to see Ben Roethlisberger without a shirt on? My God. Joe Montana, you couldn't pick him out of a lineup of average guys walking down the street. Sam Bradford, long skinny legs and... It's amazing he isn't injured every game. He goes out there. It's almost every game. So I, I'm not. I, look, I. All that matters is can you throw the ball and can you move in the pocket? And he's 40 years old and he's still playing as well as anyone ever has. I, I don't, I don't care that you know he doesn't look like Tim Tebow. Look, look at what Tim no. Tebow's physique A, did for him.
0: Hey Sims, yeah. before you answer, just take note that Captain Fun. Did not answer the question of how funny was his line. He took it seriously. Oh, so oh
1: I think I mean the the, the the line was kind of funny. It it was closer to dad joke than George Carlin. I, I mean, for Tom Brady, it it shows a level of self awareness that it's always refreshing to see a guy like Tom Brady have. But it wasn't a funny. It wasn't a great joke.
2: Yeah. Well, it it it's, it, it is. It's funny, and you know, also like petty at the same time. I just sometimes wonder, like. Why are guys like Tom Brady even looking at social media? Why do they even care what somebody thinks of what they look like with their shirt off? You already have five rings, so tell everybody else to fuck off. I don't really know you know why, Why? oh, I'd rather have six rings than a six-pack. Okay, that's great. But, yeah, I'm with you, Mike. It doesn't matter. You're, you're right. He's in shape. He's 41 years old, so his body is not going to... Uh, look the way we want it to look regardless at that age. And I think if you look back at some pictures from like four or five years ago, uh, he did have a little bit of a six-pack and, you know, a little more tightness and firmness to his body. But he's, he's at a different age, and things are starting to fall apart, and he's just doing a great job of maintaining at this point. And you know the other thing, too? The, 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 the whole combine thing, just because you guys brought it up, that drives me crazy sometimes. Because, you know, I, I do get sick of hearing like, oh, everybody passed up on Tom Brady in the sixth round. Well, I checked the rule book. He was allowed to work out for the combine and not look like a dad at the age of 21. <laughs> he was allowed to practice running the 40 and not run a 5 You know, so... You know, I know, I know uh, people are sometimes like, how did he last to the sixth round? Well, he didn't necessarily do the things to help him get drafted higher than the sixth round at that time either. Now, he crapped on everybody, and, of course, has showed he's one of the greatest of all times. But I do get sick of hearing that narrative over and over.
1: All right, that was good. That was, a good, that, that was, that was fun, a little back and forth, a little banter. I, I'm good with that. Now we transition to some of the questions we received. A lot of great questions today. Casey has gone through and picked out the best ones. What do you have, Casey?
0: Oh, you don't want to read these? Fine. Oh, I thought you do them. Oh, Mike no, reads. Oh, never
1: mind. Go I'll ahead. I see at, Mike
0: reads at Vine. I don't know how you pronounce that one. What is Sims's fondest/slash best memory while playing football at any level?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I want to state champion. Well, I want a state championship my junior year in high school, and believe it or not, that is up there. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I still think walking onto the field for my only start in a playoff game through my NFL career, the 2005 wildcard game against the Washington Redskins, I still just can remember running out for pregame warmups and just going, man, there's a different feeling in the stadium. It was electric. You could feel the intensity. They gave all the Buccaneers fans these white pirate flags, and they were waving them. And, of course, it was always a dream of mine to play NFL football and especially NFL playoff football and I felt like that was one dream that did come true it's kind of kind of hard for me even though we lost uh that was still a game that's still very vivid in my memory
1: also known as the game when Sean Taylor spat in Michael Pittman's face
2: uh, yeah, you know what I think that was the regular season game oh, if I'm well, wrong no, yeah, they went I, my they, they went my good year. observation
1: right out the window
2: that's all right it was it was just like it was probably six weeks before that so you're not you know that off
1: so it was the revenge game of the game that that Sean Taylor spat in Michael Pittman's face I was close
2: yeah, yeah and he got the last laugh because he returned a fumble like 60 yards for a touchdown on us that was uh backbreaking to start the game
0: hey, here's my follow-. Were you ever scared on the field or scared of an opponent?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean as a quarterback, you know, you're I I think quarterbacks can be extremely nervous going to any game because we have so much on our plate, but especially early on in my career, the second start I ever made in that 2005 season, we played the 49ers out in San Francisco. I played okay, but not great and we lost. The next week we had to play the Carolina Panthers, and that was, you know, Carolina in their prime, right? They had just been to the Super Bowl the year before and lost to the Patriots. Uh, they were a playoff-caliber team. And I knew there was a lot of pressure on me to go, okay, Chris Sims has to prove he can be our starting quarterback because we were kind of a playoff-caliber team that year. And that was, I-, I believe, really the only game ever, Casey, that I threw up before. I was throwing up. Uh, I left the hotel in the morning, and I went home. To see my wife for just a little bit, I threw up a few times at home before I left to drive to the stadium. And then even one time when I was in the stadium, I quietly went in there and threw up one more time. That was about as nervous and as scared as I ever was. I think not only because Julius Peppers I knew was going to be you know, breathing down my back, but, yeah, I was uh, incredibly intense, nervous, and, and, of course, wanted to prove myself uh, as an NFL starting quarterback.
0: Did you feel normal at any point?
2: Did I feel normal? During that game. Oh, yeah, you know what, after about, you know, it's one of those things, after the first drive's over and you get some of those, you know, just those nervous feelings out of your body, you go sit over on the bench and you take a deep breath and you go, okay, yep, it's just football, no big deal, I feel good, let's play, and then you kind of get over it.
0: All right, next question from at Dirt, Florio, who do you think will have more post-football career success in retirement kind of uh, redundant, Brady or Peyton.
1: Well, how do you define success? You're talking about in football? Is it post-football career football -football, success?
0: Post-football career success.
1: I I think whatever these guys do, they're going to make a ton of money. And I I don't know that Brady even needs the money, but he's intent on turning this TB12 thing into like McDonald's where they have these TB12 centers all over the place. I don't know how successful that's going to be. But I think both guys are going to be wildly successful. I think Brady may make more money, but I think Peyton is going to be involved in football at some point. We're going to be talking about him more on a regular basis during football season.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I think I feel the same way where I think that I, I'm with you. Both guys, I think, are going to be tremendously successful, whatever they do. I think Brady will have more commercial success whether it's his business ventures in TB12 or you know, just picking to you know, uh, represent Aston Martin or Rolex washes, whatever he is. But I do think Peyton at some point is going to be running a football team, and will have tremendous success doing that as well. So I think like, Peyton's public eye success might be a little bit more. I don't think that's in Brady's DNA to go and do that. I think he's the kind of guy, hey, Brady's cool. He's cultured. He wants to travel the world, and I think you know he's going to just take a few endorsements every year, have a few commercials, and just go, okay, this will pay the bills for my mansions all over the world, and that's cool.
1: Well, if it wasn't for the TB12 obsession that he has and this desire to take it national and maybe international, I'd say Peyton Manning would have more success because Brady's just going to live his life. But I right, think this TB12 right. thing is going to drive him, and he's going to be all in with it, and he's going to realize he needs to be all in with something that is business related, and and uh, I, I think he's that's why I think he makes more money. But I think he stays out of football, and Peyton gets into football at some point, and and we're talking about him the way we're talking about a guy like John Elway.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I just that's the path I see for Peyton Manning, and and I hear you with the the you know the tom brady tb12 thing. thing. i think the tb12 thing is amazing it's really cool it's where i really you know people think i don't like tom brady because i think he is guilty of deflate gate but it's just not the truth i really love tom brady uh... i think he's amazing and i love the fact that he's doing tb12 how he shits on you know the public's ideas of what's healthy eating when he tries to tell everybody like frosted flakes is not real food things like that that that's to me Not only like it's just great role modeling. He's trying to teach the public about the truths of nutrition and training and things like that. And I really do respect him from that from that angle.
1: That's the one last comment I'll make as it relates to the dad bod photos, because I would think that a guy who has so completely dedicated himself to exercise and nutrition would look the part a little bit more. And it makes me feel not as bad that my diet is basically crap most of the time because I'm not all that far off from TB12.
2: Well, and it, it's it's the, the battle the quarterback goes through. Uh, as, a, as a quarterback, you know you don't want to be overly muscular, right? So, you know, a lot of quarterbacks, they have the ability to go, like, I can get in the weight room and get a six-pack and look good with my shirt off. But usually when you get to that case, you you know, to that point, you get tighter. You know, your your shoulder gets tighter, your chest is tighter because you got bigger muscles, and you lose that flexibility to really whip the ball around the field. I think that's why you see a lot of quarterbacks and even pitchers in baseball who they're in shape but they're not exactly jacked and ripped because you do have to keep that fluidity and flexibility to really throw that ball.
1: That's why I'm concerned about Andrew Luck. Remember, we saw the picture of him? He looked I know. like uh, Bruce Banner upset and shirt ripped off, <laughs> I and know. he's huge.
2: You're right. Huge biceps. I mean, that was always like. Uh, you know, not to say this is the case of they had your luck, but I mean, we would make fun of guys like the, the weight staff and even like true training football players, the guys that came back with like a bigger chest and a bigger biceps and arms, we were always like, oh, yeah, he trained hard, I'm sure. You know, it's like all topical bull crap, and those were always the guys that pulled their hamstring or their groin in training camp, and you want to go, well, yeah, of course you pulled your hamstring or groin. It didn't look like you did legs the six weeks we were gone. All you did was, you know, bench press and curls, and you tried to tell the team you were in shape just because you looked good with your shirt on. And, of course, there's more to it in sports than that.
0: What's the most you ever bench pressed?
2: The most I ever bench pressed, I did 305 my junior Jeez. year. yeah. Yeah, I, um, my junior year was really the biggest I ever played in any level of football, too. I was about 238 pounds. You know, it was the Dante Culpepper era where, like, you know, oh, quarterbacks are 250 pounds now. And I tried to do that, and I got into heavy weightlifting. And, yes, I got 305 one time and uh, I got a shirt that said I was a part of the 300 club down in Texas, and that's all I needed.
1: Did you have to
0: bounce it? off your chest
2: oh of course i mean of course <laughs> i probably almost broke my chest but i got it up <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, screaming at you it was like the the strength and conditioning guy doing the
2: totally i we had mad you know. dog jeff mad dog madden oh yeah and especially since i was a quarterback and we did not have a quarterback down there that was you know quite as into lifting weights as i was and doing that you know it, guys got around me to be like oh okay our quarterback's about to do 300 pounds on the bench press and uh, yeah, I had a little you know cheering section when when I got it up. That was cool.
1: Uh, I'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> and, uh, That's a good one to end on. <laughs> it's, it's, let's just end it right there. <laughs>
2: uh, do you know where the weight room is? Uh, hey,
1: uh, Chris, uh, well done. It's great talking to you again. This is a nice little warm up. We get the the uh, it, the it fluid is. moving through the joints as we get ready to to do this again on Monday. So thank you. And Casey, thank you for putting everything together. You and ought to be ashamed of yourself. Stop it, Livia. <laughs> uh, so uh, Thursday it'll be Brett Musburger, and uh, we'll do something We'll figure out something tomorrow. We threw this one together today on the fly, so we'll see what we can throw together tomorrow. Thanks everybody for some of your time. We will talk again uh, on Wednesday